Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. If you have a Bible nearby, I invite you to turn in the scriptures to the book of Genesis. I love the book of Genesis. It is probably one of my favorite books of the Bible. And it is one of those books that has um, so many themes that you back to. You can be almost anywhere in the Bible and say, well, you know, this has its roots or its origins back in Genesis. I had a, a pastor friend of mine who would be preaching and he was known for going decently long. And he would always be like, he'd be in the middle of something. He'd go, now to understand this, we have to go back to Genesis. And you're like, oh no, how long are we going to be here? Which is probably the way you feel about me sometimes, um, but that's okay. Uh, Genesis is so foundational. And so we're looking at a couple of different themes as we study through these first 11 chapters of Genesis. But we're going to spend some more time in Genesis 1 and we're going to look at the idea of blessed. Um, you see this in hashtags all, all over, hashtag blessed. You, you see things like um, uh, the, the great southern phrase back when I lived down in the south, you might hear every now and then, oh, bless his heart. You know, so you get that idea of blessed. When you think about the nature of blessing, sometimes, um, sometimes I hear as a pastor, like, pastor, would you pray that the Lord would bless me? And so one of the ideas that is rooted in the beginning of the Bible is this idea of blessed. What does that mean to be blessed? Why does God bless his creation? What's the purpose of that? And, and what are we to do, or how are we to engage with a God who wants to bless his creation? And so um, for our morning today, I'm not going to read all through chapter one of Genesis again, but I do want to read through a couple of verses because we'll be looking at a bunch of other scriptures this morning. Uh, we read all the way through in, in its totality, Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3 last week, which is the prologue to the book of Genesis. But I want to read just a couple of verses as we start. So uh, read, read with me, please, in chapter one of Genesis. In the beginning, verse one, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the dark. God called the light day and he called the darkness night. Evening came and then morning the first day. I want to jump down really quick to verse 22. Here it says, um, after, actually, let's read verse 20. Then God said, this is, by the way, the fifth day of creation. Then God said, let the water swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the large creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water and according to their kinds. He also created every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good. So God blessed them and he said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters of the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came, and then morning, the fifth day. Now jump with me, please, down to verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. 
They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the ground. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I've given you every seed bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of earth, for every bird of the sky, for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Evening came, then morning, the sixth day. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. By the seventh day, which we're going to look at next week, by the seventh day, God completed, completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from his work of creation. I hope you saw this repeated pattern of blessed as we read through the text. Let's pray together and we'll continue studying. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for how you reveal yourself to us through it. And we are praying that, God, whether we're sitting on our couch, uh, whether we are uh, sitting at the dinner or the breakfast table enjoying a cup of coffee this morning, whether we're gathered here uh, at, at the church facility, God, that, that you would meet with us, that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would under, help us to understand what it means to be blessed, how we have been blessed, and then what it means for us to be a blessing to the world around us. We love you, God, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, Genesis. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide, bud. Um, in verse two, sorry, bud is my son. He's, his name is Ephraim. He's back on the computer and clicker's not working today. And I can't see what's on the back of the screen. So if I say just move ahead, that will be the cue for all of you to know that my clicker's not working. So um, when we get to this idea of blessing, and this idea of creation, we notice in verse 1, there's a summary statement that's made. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, all right? Th th this is how God creates. And then it goes on to talk about how God does something. And the way you can understand this, and I'll show you a chart in a few minutes, he goes from forming the earth to filling the earth in the days of creation. And you see that this, this is going on in verse 2 here. The earth was formless and empty, Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Now, when we, when we read this, we have to understand that God created the world, everything in it. So when it says here that it was formless and empty, it doesn't mean that it pre-existed God or something like that. And in fact, Psalm 8 declares, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've covered the heavens with your majesty because of your adversaries. Um, you have established strongholds from the mouths of children and nursing infants to silence the enemy and the avenger. And he says, when I observe the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Scripture constantly reminds us that God is the creator. And one of the best places we see is in verse one. But then we get this chaos kind of theme here. It was formless and empty. There was chaos on the earth. And so what does God do with chaos? He speaks into it. And he creates by the word of his mouth, which is why it says in verse three, 
as there's chaos over the earth, it says, then God said, let there be light. God speaks and it becomes. He, he speaks and he forms. He speaks and he fills. And we see this all throughout scripture. And the reason we need to talk about this just as a matter of theology is, is that scripture teaches that God spoke and the world came into being and it presents a very different theology than many in our modern world would promote. As Christians, we believe the word of God to be our final authority and to be completely truthful. And so when we think about this idea of creation, it stands up against other worldviews. Um, I love the way that Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum describes several of these worldviews. He says, you know, atheism says that there is no God, and yet Genesis affirms the existence of a personal God who created the world and not a Big Bang theory. Agnosticism, he says, is a worldview that says it's impossible to know if God exists, but Genesis contradicts that and says uh, that God has revealed himself in what he has done. Pantheism, which states that God and the creation are basically one and the same, goes against what God reveals about himself where he transcends all of what he created because in the beginning, God already existed and he spoke the world into being. He's not part of the world. He's not one of the creation. He is separate from. Naturalism, uh, the belief that the natural order is eternal, goes against the scriptures because the scriptures attest and affirm that nature finds its origins in a divine creator who speaks and creates with great intention. And finally, humanism, one worldview that says that reality is measured by man, goes against what scripture reveals, what God reveals in scripture, where God and not man is the ultimate reality. God's the one who defines reality. I love the way that Psalm 33 talks about this, and I think I have this here for you as well. Psalm 33 says, um, The heavens were made by the word of the Lord, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into a heap. He puts the depths into storehouses. Let the whole earth tremble before the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came into being. He commanded and it came into existence. Scripture tells us over and over and over again, it wants us to get this point that God speaks and it comes into existence. The world is created intentionally by a good God who has purposes for his creation, including human beings who are made in his image. The wonder of an intentionally created world that is fashioned by a personal creator exists outside of his biblical creation is what scripture talks about. The response to this revelation, as we have seen already this morning, is praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You heights in all you depths. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. It's the only fitting response to a good and great creator. It's the only fitting response to the one who speaks and gives life to all. Romans 1 tells us that creation bears witness to us of an intentionally creator God, an intentional creator God. It also bears witness to a sinful world 
that they have a creator. In fact, this is the way it says in Romans 1 verse 20, is that God's eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world being through understood, sorry, can't read this morning, since the creation of the world being understood through what he has made. And so we, we talk about, uh, in theological circles, you have this phrase, general revelation, and you have a phrase called special revelation. General revelation is that we look at the sunrise, and we look at um, stars at night. We look at the majestic falling of snow in the wind that swirls it all about. And by all these things, we can say, this doesn't happen by chance. You look at the incredible complexities of the human body. For example, like if you were to think about the complexities of an eye and what it takes to, to move light and to pass all of those things throughout your brainwaves so that when I look at you, I see you for who you are. It's an amazing thing that is so compelling. For me, it's much more compelling than to, to think that an intentionally personal creator God spoke and it became than to think that somehow all of this just came into existence on its own because the complexity of human life is just staggering. There's a reason why when you stand outside at nighttime and the sky is clear and you see literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of stars that it should take our breath away. And we go, wow, I am really small. I remember years ago being in Montana, visiting some of our missionary partners there and standing out because we had driven outside of the town and um, we were in a place where there was absolutely no man-made light, like none whatsoever. It took us about 10 minutes to get outside town. That's how, that's how many lights are in Montana, in Western Montana. And as we were out there, we, we just turned off the lights of the car. We turned off the interior light. We shut the door and we just, you know, our phones were put away and we just stared. And when you do that, you begin to see all the shooting stars because your naked eye can see that with greater depth than you can with a whole bunch of light pollution around. And it just took my breath away to think, wow, this was created by an intentional God who created the world, including me. Look at the amazing detail that that planets over there and that planets over there and that stars up there and all these things spin in their orbits and yet there is order and there's purpose and there's creation the the response of thinking about the world should be one that drives us to worship i don't believe and scripture does not teach that we are products of a big bang or macro evolution Rather, it teaches that the world is created by a personal creator. Evidence of a creator who intends for us to live in complete and unbroken communion with him within a good world. And that's the picture that's painted in Genesis chapter 1. It says in verse 2 of Genesis here, um, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the water depths. The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. This word formless um, is the word in Hebrew. I think I have it up here. Um, it's the word tohu. And it means without form. And it emphasizes formlessness. Now the earth was without form. And it was void. The, the word here for void can mean empty. It's the word um, vohu. So the, the, the earth was tohu vavohu earthless or it was it was formless and, and with void in it and what God does with creation 
is he forms and he fills. Go to the next slide for me, Ephraim, and let's look at it this way. Um, in day one, day two, and day three, you have God forming creation through land and plants, through sky, and through uh, land and plants is on there twice, so there's a typo there, and I'm sorry for that, because that's on me. Um, in day four, we have lights, we have fish and birds, and then we have land animals and humans. And so there's a direct correlation, and you can go back to day one and day three and clarify that for me and for your own notes. Uh, you have day one is the forming of something that is then filled by day four. You have day two, the forming of something that is filled by day five. You have day three, you have the forming of something that is then filled by day six. So what God is doing is he's bringing form and filling to creation. And if you look at the process of creation within the text, there's essentially seven different stages of creation that we can look at. Here's the way that they're uh, put forth in the narrative. The seven stages of creation. You have first the introduction where it says, and God said, all right? So, so it's introducing this day of creation by saying, <clears throat> and God said, and then it goes on to the fiat. And this is the let there be. All right, and God said, let there be. And then he goes to the fulfillment, which is the, and then there was, is how scripture describes it. It goes to action described, and God made. And then it goes to an act of naming, you know, so, and God called this land, or God called this sky, or God called this an animal, or God called this a bird. But then you also sometimes have in this naming, blessing. And it will say, and God blessed. It happens three times in the first prologue of Genesis. Then we go to God's evaluation. God gives his, his idea of what he thinks about his creation. And it says often, and it was good, and it was good. And you come to the end of it, and he says, and it was very good. Finally, you have this terminus in this act of creation. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day, or the second day, or the third day, so on and so forth. I was actually, on the, on the day thing here, someone asked me last week, it's a fantastic question. They said, um, they asked me, do I think that there's a literal 24-hour day that's being represented in Genesis? And this is a conversation that's um, quite frequent amongst scholars because the word for day in Hebrew, it's the word yom, it can refer to a literal 24-hour period. It can also refer to a longer period of time. And the reason you know how to translate it or how to understand it comes down to what's the context. And so and sometimes it's referring to, for example, like the day of the Lord. And the context of that seems to be a longer period of time, not just a 24-hour literal day. But so how do we understand it in the book of Genesis? Genesis 1, I think it's best to understand it as a literal day. And the reasons for that are multiple. Um, just so you kind of have an understanding. One of the reasons um, to understand as a little 24-hour day is because it uses an ordinal number. So the first day, the second day, the third day, and so on. And every time in scripture where ordinal number, number is used, it always means 24 hours. Another reason to think and believe that Yom is actually a 24-hour day is we have at the end of this, there was evening and there was morning. So it's, so it's marking it not by a longer period of time. It's actually marking it by the way that the sun would set and the way the sun would rise. So it seems to very clearly indicate that there's a 24-hour day. Finally, and there, there's a couple more we could talk about, but, but we are we are considering, you know, how, how does God create a literal 24-hour day? Like, is that possible? And, and I like what one scholar said. He said, Adam and Eve are created with maturity in Genesis 2. In other words, they don't start off as, as babies and raises them. He, he creates them, and, and they have maturity. And this suggests that what God is doing 
in Genesis 1 is similarly uh, related. It suggests that God is doing the same thing with making a formless and empty earth filled and formed and the God who creates the world and everything in it could just as easily say, and let there be light and there was light and it happens. So, so it seems to be both from context and from um, just what's going on in all of the beginning part of this chapter that God is referring to a literal 24-hour day here. There was evening and there was morning. Um, so we talk about now the nature of blessing. Uh, as we talked about kind of the created order, we think about the nature of blessing. And when we talk about blessing, we have here in Genesis 1, verses 28 through 30, what is called the Edenic Covenant. And, and in it, God is blessing the world. And he's, he's pr- providing um, what they need through command and th- through otherwise for them to populate the earth and also to have dominion over the earth. He's given them purpose and function, which we'll talk about a little bit more in, depth in a couple of weeks. Um, and it says in verse 22, verse 28, and in verse uh, of chapter 2, that God blessed them. In chapter 2, it actually says that God blessed the Sabbath day. Um, but the other two, God blesses his creation. And he said, I-, I want you to go forth, and I want you to serve the purposes for which I have given you. And when we understand, or when we think about blessing in Genesis 1, here's what blessing the, the essence of blessing, here's what it is. God's blessing is fundamentally concerned, one scholar says, with the expansion of life. And God blesses the living creatures on day five, verse 22 here. It says, so that they may be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters of the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. In verse 28, it's also concerned with life. Um, God blesses humankind so that they may be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. In chapter 2, verse 3, it says, God blesses the, se- the seventh day and declares it holy. But that is also about um, God wanting life to be lived and experienced, even with the idea of rest in, involved. And so what does it mean then to bless? What does it mean to bless from a biblical perspective? Um, depending on the context, you could translate this um, you could translate this a couple different ways. Um, the word in Hebrew for bless is barak, and it means to literally to take a knee or to kneel. It can mean to, it can refer to a custom of how someone would take a young child on their lap and they would bless them. That's the other way it can be used. The last way it can be used is to be filled with strength or to be filled full. Um, when we talk about blessing in Genesis 1, what helps us know how to understand the nature of this word is who's the subject of the blessing. In other words, who's the one who is the blessor? When it says in scripture, bless the Lord all my soul and all that is within me, bless his holy name. It's referring more to a taking of the knee posture because that's an act of worship in scripture. But here we have God who is the subject. He's the one who's saying, and God blessed them. So, so God is the agent of blessing. And, he, and so it's interesting to say, okay, if God is the agent of blessing, I don't think he's taking a knee and worshiping his creation. One of the ways that this can legitimately be um, translated and should be translated in this context is that the word barak or to bless means to endue, which I had to look that word up because I didn't really know what it was, which means to provide, to endure or to provide someone with special power, right? 
when God is the subject, he is providing for his creation special power. And then you have to kind of ask the question, special power for what? And, and that's found in the context. He's, he's providing power on day five for the living creatures to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. He's providing power for humankind to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, and subdue it. In, in other words, to pursue his created design for them, right? Uh, he has created animals, he's created the world, he's created humanity, man and woman, to do and to operate and to act in certain ways. And he wants them to fulfill the things for which they are called by him to do. So this word, when it says, in God bless them, it means that God is giving them the power to do what he has actually called them to do. Genesis 1 describes the world before sin enters into it. And so when we think about that, this is God's created order. He always intended for his creation to be dependent upon him for power in everything that they would be called to do. God does not create Adam and Eve or animals and say, all right, now you guys are on your own. Do whatever you can do. He doesn't say in the garden, pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps. He invites them into a relationship with him so that through his power, they can do what he has called them to do, to fill the earth, to subdue it, and to steward it. God's purpose in blessing was to give Adam and Eve everything they needed to be the people he intended for them to be. That's God's created order. That's what it looked like in a perfect world. In a perfect world, humanity was not intended to be um, uh, lone rangers. They were intended to be in intimate fellowship with their creator for his purposes. As the fall happens, though, um, it's interesting to think about the dependence that Adam and Eve had upon God in the garden for blessing doesn't change even after sin. In fact, it's only because of God's provision for them after sin that they can live uh, in any sort of uh, physical way uh, for any period of time. Of course, after sin, after they sinned, they had a broken fellowship with God, which completely reoriented the way that they related to their creator. And as um, as that happened, God said, well, this isn't going to work to keep it going like this. And God communicated with them. And we read this just recently as a family. In Genesis 3.15, there's a great messianic promise that's given. He's, he's actually bringing a cursing upon the serpent who tempted them. He said, you're going to strike at the heel of the seed of the woman. But the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. And that's a great messianic prophecy about how God would have a redemption story that would put sin and death in the grave and the adversary to its knees and would crush it and defeat it, bringing life back to people. God's desire is always for life. And so the blessing in a, in a perfect world was there. But I guess maybe the question is, is what does it mean to be blessed for us today and the things God calls us to? Um, Barak is the word in Hebrew, and I just have this up here. God provided his creation, animals, humankind, what they need to do, when, what he called them to do from the beginning. They were never meant to go it alone. That's the word Barak. Now, when we talk about one of the New Testament words for um, 
bless, which is, it's a very similar word. The, the New Testament Greek takes this Hebrew word and they, they attach a word to this in the Greek New Testament to talk about the same idea. It's the word um, eulogeo, eulogeo. So we go from Barak to eulogeo, and I think I've got that one up there for you as well. It's a word in in Greek, that means to speak well of, to praise, or to extol. It can mean to consecrate. It can also mean to bestow special favor or to provide with benefits. Along with this last one in particular, the special favor to provide with benefits, this carries the same idea as what God is saying here, and God blessed them. He, he provided them with the strength that they need to do the things that he called them to do. And the New Testament talks about blessing in several ways. Um, one of the ways is, is that it's a result of trusting God by faith in Galatians 3, verses 8 and 9. Uh, another way that it's used is in Matthew 26. Um, and there it says that, that Jesus took the bread, he blessed, and he broke it. And just, just as a side thing, whenever you see Jesus blessing the bread, he's actually not blessing the bread, he's blessing his father. And so one of the ways that Jewish prayer would begin is, blessed are you, our Lord, our God, king of the universe. And then like the blessing for bread is, who brings forth bread from the earth. And so you're not blessing the meal when you stop to pray before a, a meal. You're actually blessing the God who provided the meal for you. You're saying, God, thank you for this bread. So Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he takes this bread and, and he gives the traditional Hebrew blessing. Blessed are you, Lord of God, King of the universe, sovereign over all, who brings forth bread from the earth. And even on this last supper, he's saying, God, you've been so good. You've provided exactly what we needed to celebrate this feast together. Um, it, it's a word that's also used as a result of being in Christ. Uh, a result of being in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. And so from that standpoint, every believer is blessed. We, we're blessed spiritually with every blessing in the heavens. When, when God looks at us in our spiritual relationship with him, he goes, I've given you all you need to do the things I've called you to do. Finally, an, another way that the word blessing is used, and this comes in Romans 12, it comes in 1 Peter chapter 3 as well, where it's contrasted with cursing. So, so blessing and cursing. A couple of these places they say, um, when someone curses you, do not curse them back, instead bless them. Bless and do not curse. And so it becomes a way that um, believers are supposed to act with one another for the sake of God's name. They, they, they're not to bring um, negative or evil towards someone, even if they've been um, received, even if they have received evil from them, they're to bring blessing or they're to bring, bring encouragement and to bring, to, to, to bring um, power to that person as much as they can to say, you know, you have done this, but I bless you. Why? Because they know what it means to be blessed. Go forward another slide for me, if you would, Ephraim. Um, one of the people who experienced God's blessing was a guy by the name of Abraham. This is a, a painting from the 1800s of Abraham. And Abraham is a person who, who covenanted with God, Say God covenanted with him. And God tells him in Genesis chapter 12, um, I'm going to bless you. 
and I'm going to bless all the nations through you, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. Genesis 12, Genesis 15 give kind of the parameters of this blessing of God. What's amazing is that when God says, I'm going to make a great nation through you, um, Abraham is married, but he has no kids. And in fact, it's going to be until he's about 100 before he has any kids. And so for about 25 years or so of his life, Abraham's going to go, how on earth is God going to provide a nation through me? And there's a couple times actually in Abraham's story where he and his wife say, you know, maybe we can do it in this way. And in, in fact, one of the culturally acceptable ways back in the ancient Near East is that if, um, if your wife couldn't um, bear children, then they could appoint a, a, uh, a slave or they could appoint a servant of theirs to bear children um, for their husband. And that woman or that woman would give that child essentially to the mother. So, so like Sarah comes to Abram one day and she says, have my, my maid Hagar, take her as your wife, have children through her on my behalf. The thing is, is that uh, Abraham, uh, though he was, as scripture describes, a man of faith, he was a person who, like many of us, um, often when he's faced with decisions, he'll go, mm, God's not answering uh, what he's promised, at least in the timing that I think he should. And so he, he moves to go ahead and he moves to have a child through Hagar and it becomes an absolute mess. And in fact, God comes to him and says, that's not the child of the promise. That, that, that's not the one through whom I'm going to bless. And God waits and God waits and God waits until Abraham's about 100 years old and his wife's about 90 years old. And then um, Sarah becomes pregnant with child. When we think of blessing, sometimes we think that God's blessing should happen within our timeline. But I'm so encouraged by the story of Abraham because Abraham's a guy who, who honestly, he knew he was blessed by God. He knew that God was working in his life. He knew that God had placed him in the land for a purpose. And yet he had so many moments of doubt then I go, man, I can resonate with that because there's so many moments of doubt in my own life where I go, where I have gone and I've gone, God, I, maybe we should just do it this way. And, and sometimes through um, God's grace, he stops me from moving down a path of trying to do something in my own strength. And sometimes God in his grace lets me come to the end of that rope and saying, wow, that didn't work, did it? All that led to was frustration and confusion and, and, and reminds me, hey, I want to, I have, not I want to, but I have blessed you with what you need. Trust me, walk with me. Let me be your strength. Let me be your shield. Because if Abraham is any indication in any other of the people of faith that Hebrews talks about, if they're any indication, the reason that they accomplish the things that God intends for them to accomplish is because they partner with God in that work. If you want to have some good encouragement in your life, um, read through the story of Abraham. I've got a photo of some stars, I think. You know, because God talks to him and he says, Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants like the stars of the sky. <laughs> and you can imagine that if you're a guy like Abraham, who has no children to his name, you're like, God, how? 
And yet Abraham would become the father of the Jewish nation. And, and actually it's gonna be through Abraham that the Messiah would eventually come and all the nations of the earth would be blessed because of a promise that God made to Abraham and God's fulfillment of that promise. Um, so if you want a, some encouragement later today, go read the story of Abraham beginning in Genesis chapter 12. Find the places where he falls and, and God picks him back up and reminds him that his grace is sufficient for him. Abraham, like us, he longed for something that he already had. And as he tried to make God's blessing come to fruition, um, God wanted to teach him that God is a person who, um, God wants to partner with us. God supply all the strength and all the wisdom, but he wants to partner with us. He, he's looking for ministry partners who lean on him and trust him 100% to provide as we obey in faith. This brings us to some, um, I think, may, may personal application for all of us here. It's pretty easy whether you're in here or whether you're at home to think, um, man, am I really blessed? And I want to tell you, God says that if you're in Christ, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. You don't need more blessing. You don't need more blessing. You've already received the greatest blessing that God could ever give himself. You have been restored to relationship with God. You've been connected to the one who is the vine that John 15 talks about. You may not always live from this connection, but living a truly Christian life can only happen one way. That's from living from Christ who is our life, Colossians says. And, and the connection is always there. Whether we feel it or not, um, if you're in Christ, the scripture says you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You have no fear that God has separated himself from you because he hasn't and he won't. Um, the connection is always there. So, so what's our focus then as individuals? Well, our, our focus as individuals is to attach ourselves in a dynamic way to the one who is our vine. Uh, our focus must be to attach ourselves to Jesus. When we think about all the things that God commands of believers in the scriptures, he never expects any of us to accomplish those things without his power. In fact, the John 15 paradigm is so key. You see some fruit on the screen here. Because in John 15, Jesus puts it incredibly beautifully and incredibly bluntly to all who are listening. John 15, he says, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine, the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes. Every branch that he, that every branch, uh, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word spoken to you. And he says, remain in me. And I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. Verse five, I am the vine, he says, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him will produce much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Did, did you hear me? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, in Christ, we are always connected to the vine. And yet he's saying, I want you to live your life 
in a dependent way upon me that when I say, I want you to be holy as I'm holy, you're going, all right, God, it's only through you that I ever have the standing to be holy. In fact, God makes his people holy, but he also wants us to act in ways that are holy. So how do we act in ways that are holy? Well, we can focus on, I have to be holy, I have to be holy. Or we can say, God, I want you to produce in and through me unconditional love for this person that I don't love right now. <laughs> God, I want you to produce in me kindness and patience and self-control. And, and he says here, I love the way he says it in verse nine of John 15. He says, as the father has loved me, which is incredible. He says, I have also loved you. And he says, remain or abide in my love. Abide in my love. So, so the pattern of Jesus wanting his people to experience his blessing is for us to know and to remain and to abide in the love that he has for us. The same love, by the way, that the father had for him. Incredible love. You know, Jesus, uh, it said in John chapter um, 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So when we think about love, th this is not an affection. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's a decision that God has done. Um, elsewhere in 1 John, I think it says, um, uh, It'll come back to me because it just left me. Uh, he, he says uh, of love, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for us. When we, when we look at the love of God, it should, it should just cause us to go, wow, how undeserved we have been to receive God's love or, or to merit God's love. And the fact is we can't merit it, but the reality is, is God loves us. And this goes back to his divine creative order where he creates humankind in his image. Why? Because he wants to have a personal relationship with them. He wants your life and he wants my life to be lives that are attached to the vine and where we are constantly hearing from God and we are constantly saying, all right, God, you've called me to do this in faith and in obedience. I will now do this, not to earn anything, but just because how do you love God except by receiving his love for you and then following in relationship and in obedience? Right? Obedience is not something that merits you anything, but it is something that God uses to bring great blessing to your life and to bring great blessing to the world around you. So um, we attach ourselves to the vine. We abide in Christ's love. That's a personal application. If, if you're not a follower of Jesus here today, you may not know then what it means to be attached to the vine. You may not know what it means to have an understanding that God loves you so much that he wants to be in relationship with you. So much so that he sent his son. And if you haven't received his love, and if you have not received the life that comes only by giving your life to Jesus, that would be an incredible thing for you to consider this morning as you consider life apart from him. Uh, but for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we also have a, a calling as a community. Um, in the scriptures, the individual matters and the community matters, which is why oftentimes um, commands are given and instructions are given to a plurality of people. Uh, he, he speaks to congregations. And um, where this kind of affects us as followers of Jesus is that um, God has called 
the church, both the worldwide church, but also each local church. It's used in both ways in scripture. Sometimes they're addressing all believers of all time. Sometimes they're addressing local congregations. We happen to be a local congregation in snowy Zealand, Michigan this morning. And God has given us a mission. It's the same mission he gives to the rest of the church in Matthew 28. He says, I want you to go into all the world. I want you to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So uh, he promises then that he will be with us always. A great reminder that we have been blessed with everything. We've been blessed with the presence of God as a church. God has called us to make disciples of Jesus, people who know who they are in Christ, who minister to, to their schools, their neighborhoods, their workplaces, and to their families. And one of the things I'm really excited about in this next year, and it actually begins this week, is I'm excited for an opportunity that we have to clarify our mission, to clarify a vision, to, to clarify the reasons and how we will make disciples of the nations within our local context. And so we have a strategic leadership team that is meeting on Friday and Saturday this next weekend. And that's not a closed door meeting, but we have 15 people who are engaging intentionally over the course of the next several months in order to bring um, clarity to our discipleship process. And, and they're prayerful people who love the Lord and who want to see his name glorified within our community and across the world. And so I'm asking our church as a whole to be in prayer for this team. You may join us for any of those training sessions to observe if you'd like to. Uh, the first one is on, on um, Friday night and Saturday morning next week. Um, but if you can't be there, that's absolutely fine too. What I'd ask for you to do is to pray. There's a couple different ways I'd like to have us pray. I've got a slide here for it that, that describes um, ways that you can be praying. And this is just a couple to suggest. Um, it can certainly be much more than this. One of the ways uh, I love for us to be praying is for unity in the spirit. As we bring, as God brings clarity to us in the discipleship process, pray for unity that we would all sense the, the, the pattern and the pathway that God would have for us to walk in terms of bringing um, more uh, more clear discipleship pathways and in evangelism pathways for our church and for our community. Also be praying that for clarity as we seek to strategically make disciples and equip the saints of God into becoming mature believers. There's two passages for those. Um, another great passage for unity is in John 17 where, where Jesus prays, Father, I pray for believers that they would be one as you and I are one. This is a time in which uh, the enemy, of course, would always want to sow and divide discord and, and anything else to keep us from being better focused towards making disciples. And um, we are partnering with God to do the, the work of that, but all of this is preceded, has to be preceded by prayer. Uh, my friend Bill Crowder once said, nothing of eternal significance can ever be accomplished apart from prayer. And so what I want to do as we close today is I want to invite our church to pray. And so we've got some people in here. What we're going to do in just a minute is I'm going to ask this crew of folks here in the auditorium to go ahead and meet together and to pray in groups. Um, and then if you're at home, I, I encourage you, grab your family around and, and spend a couple minutes praying for um, our church that we would be faithful followers of Jesus and that we would um, pursue God in the way of abiding in him that he might bear fruit through us for the world. Um, 
pray for, um, pray for the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace to reign amongst us and anything else that the Lord brings to your mind. And then on Tuesday night, I said this earlier, we have our elders meeting, 7 p.m. We're gonna spend some time just in the auditorium here if you're available, we'd love to invite you back 7 to 7.30 or so to come pray with us as we um, consecrate our time both as elders to the Lord, but also as we pray for our congregation that evening. So um, I'm going to end with a benediction in just a minute, and then I'm going to dismiss our, our folks here into different prayer groups, um, find groups of five, six or so, and, um, and leave no one out. Uh, and let's be praying together. And if you're home, I invite you to take these next couple moments and to be praying. We'll leave this uh, live stream going for a couple minutes and we'll also keep the prayer focus slide up here in case you need that as a prompt. But would you please just now take a couple minutes to pray. Um, before we go to prayer, I love the ironic uh, the benediction. Um, I say it often, but it takes on new meaning when we talk about what it means to be blessed. And the ironic benediction, it was customary for the high priest to come over the people of Israel and he would say, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance towards you and give you his peace. Notice that the agent of blessing there is the Lord. Know that you're blessed by the Lord today. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. And calling and he's encouraging and he wants to live through you this week a blessing to the world around you you are dismissed to prayer have a fantastic weekend thanks thanks for listening we hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith if you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.